The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. You're listening to The Exchange. Here's today's show. Hi, everybody. I'm Kelly Evans. Here's what's ahead this hour on The Exchange. Bond yields are on the rise as stagflation worries grow. You just heard Carl Icahn talking about it. The 10-year nearing its June highs around 1.6%. How worried should equity investors be and how can you protect yourself? And we'll have all the happenings from Apple's event today. This one focused on AirPods and MacBooks. And those Macs will be powered by new Apple-produced chips not Intel's. Plus, a to-the-moon edition of Rapid Fire, looking at some bullish analyst calls into earnings. It's going to be a wild season. We'll tell you what the street is saying about Netflix, Chipotle, and even Facebook. But let's start with the markets off the worst levels of the day. Bob Bassani with the numbers. Bob? Hello, Kelly. It's been a kind of choppy, indeterminate day. Uh, The Dow had a Difficult open, let's call it that way. Let's take a look at the major indexes. Uh, Dow was down because Disney had a downgrade uh, over at Barclays. That was weak all throughout the day, but it's been held up. The Dow's been held up by a terrific performance from Goldman Sachs, up nine points today, following through on a terrific earnings report uh, on Friday. S&P 500's been positive territory uh, as well. NASDAQ also in positive territory. If you take a look at the sectors, we've been led higher by energy. We still have that seven-year high uh, on oil flattish today. Banks have had terrific follow-through on the earnings situation. Normally, banks tend to trade down immediately after earnings. Not so in the last couple days. Tech strong. Healthcare continuing to lag for the last six weeks. There's your energy sectors and see what's going on there. Uh, Energy new highs here. Uh, Not many new highs, but most of them are in the energy energy space, Devin, Apache, Williams, uh, Occidental, not a new high, but Truist did upgrade that stock, uh, and you can see up about 4%. Finally, it is official. Today, we had ProShares, uh, head of ProShares on talking about the new Bitcoin futures ETF that will be launching Tuesday on the New York Stock Exchange, the symbols BITO. Again, this invests in Bitcoin futures contracts, not Bitcoin directly. We don't have that yet, uh, but it's still a very, very important moment, Kelly, for the ETF community as well as the crypto community. Uh, Simeon Hyman will be ringing the opening bell for ProShares tomorrow around that event. Back to you. And Bob, because it's going to be such a busy week, normally that would get a ton of coverage, but we've also got earnings to contend with and all the rest of it. So You know, there are critics who say if the SEC was serious about protecting investors, they would not be promoting basically Bitcoin futures as a way of getting exposure. What do you expect their response to be as to why this is really the right move? It's very simple. Gary Gensler has repeatedly said he has problems with a Bitcoin, a Bitcoin buying and selling directly Bitcoin, pure Bitcoin. And the reason is he's concerned about fraud and manipulation on Bitcoin exchanges, and he has no regulatory control over that. Instead, he seems very interested in the idea of Bitcoin futures ETF because that's a regulated market. Think about it. In a futures contract, you don't have to worry about somebody breaking into some uh, Bitcoin exchange that's a Russian cyber criminal stealing everything. So this solves a problem for Gensler. He really needs to show that he's promoting the concept of financial innovation, but until he gets some regulatory control over the Bitcoin 
ecosystem, it's very difficult for him to come out directly with a Bitcoin ETF. This is sort of half a loaf, but it's still a pretty important moment for the community. Kelly? It certainly is. So we see Bitcoin over 62,000 today off those levels right now. Bob, we appreciate it. Bob Bassani down at the NYSE. In the meantime, Apple's latest product launch is kicking off right now, and it could have big implications for their chips business and for its competitors. Josh Lipton is here with more on what to expect this hour. Josh? So, Kelly, Apple's event is just getting underway. CEO Tim Cook addressing the audience virtually there. So what's going to be the big highlight of today's show? Well, reports suggest that the company is going to introduce new high-end MacBook Pros running on Apple's own chips instead of Intel's processors. The new models could apparently also include a new design, charger, and displays in 14-inch and 16-inch sizes. The Mac we know has been a winner for Apple. More people look to those machines as they learned and worked from home during the pandemic. Question is whether Apple can keep that momentum going in the cores ahead. Reports also indicate that Apple has been hard at work on the next generation of its lower-end AirPods, too. So we're waiting to see if those make an official debut today as well. Analysts estimate AirPods account for about 5% now of total sales. Kelly, back to you. All right, Josh, we'll see you again soon. Hopefully our Josh Lipton. Speaking of Apple, my next guest says absurd valuations in that company and other big fang names is leading to a transition in leadership from tech to other sectors like financials and energy, especially with bond yields doing what they are today. But should investors resist the temptation? Let's welcome in David Bonson. He's the chief investment officer at the Bonson Group. David, welcome. I guess I asked the question because I wonder if financials and energy are the kind of sectors that can give you a couple good quarters, but technology is sort of where you make the big gains in the long run. Well, I, I think that there's a couple of different arguments there. I, I believe cyclically you've seen whole decades where technology made a ton of money and whole decades where it made no money. So we know what happened in the 90s and we know what happened the decade following. The Nasdaq took 16 years to recover. Some big tech names still haven't recovered from its 1999 pricing. So we want to look at it company by company, but across the whole sector, there's been huge growth both of earnings and of the multiple in much of the technology sector. Financials and energy have been great performers for decades as well, but they've run into cyclical patches. The financial crisis was the big one in financials, and energy's now had its big issue. Uh, I believe that's played out. I think that right now the bad news and then some was priced in, and that there are a lot of opportunities in the energy sector that are going to make sense for more than just a couple of quarters. Tell me where those are. Are they in specific stocks or would people be fine with kind of broad sector exposure? And what's the catalyst? You know, we're obviously seeing it already. Ten years at 1.6 percent. Financials and energy have been strong performers uh, in recent weeks. Um, do we need 2 percent on the 10 year? No, I, I do understand why a lot of the big banks benefit from higher net interest margin. But if there's one thing we've seen with a lot of the financial sector, it's that it is not merely a net interest margin story. Uh, when you look at a company like J.P. Morgan, which we own and have owned for 10 years now, it's grown its dividend 500 percent since the financial crisis. That's an investment bank. That's a, a trading franchise. Um, a company like Goldman Sachs, which we don't own, has absolutely uh, no net interest margin exposure relative to their tr trading and their wealth management business and investment banking. So I think that there's a lot of different ways to play financials, and the yield curve shape is one, but it is not the only one. When you see industrial production miss like it did this morning, prices doing what they are, consumer sentiment weak, uh, what do you make of stagflation and the fact that maybe energy's doing well? That's a bad thing. You know, it slows the economy. Financials doing well. Well, not if, you know, not if 
the consumer balance sheet isn't looking quite as good as we think because of all this sort of excess cash. You know, what happens if this is not as pleasant an environment as we thought it might have been a couple months ago? Well, I think we like to look at some of these monthly economic data points on rolling three-month averages, and none of them really look that bad when we do that. Some of them could get worse. I'm concerned going into next year on business confidence, on industrial production, but particularly uh, CapEx, that non-residential fixed investment, which is so crucial in GDP growth. Uh, we basically got almost none of it in the years following the financial crisis, in a couple of years following the Trump tax cuts, it really picked up a lot. But I think that post-COVID, there's a question mark as to what the business investment world will look like. But I really do believe that we have the opportunity for an extension of this economic expansion. But there's policy issues that, that kind of stand in the way there. Yeah. I think the energy story is more of a value story around mispricing. Basically, Kelly, a lot of bad news that was fully priced in and a lot of good news that wasn't. And that's the type of thing we like to look for uh, in investing. So what if I said to you, give me the place to go in the market, David, where I don't want to be in technology, I don't want to be in high valuations, I'm ner I don't necessarily want to be in energy, maybe I'm a little nervous about financial, so I'm ruling a lot of things out. Is there anywhere I can go to kind of quote unquote, protect myself? Sure, I'll give you a sector answer, even though we're not top-down investors, we're bottom-up pickers, and, and as you know, we're kind of biased towards dividend growth. But the one sector that is never the worst performing and never the best performing, but I think is always in that middle ground of good fundamentals, relatively low valuations compared to other sectors, is consumer staples. Hmm. It also happens to be extremely non-cyclical. People still buy laundry detergent, diapers, paper towels, you know, a lot of these consumer food products, regardless of economic activity. So if that's the, the setup, you know, in the question, consumer staples are always that kind of, you know, not too hot, not too cold type of place to be. And there happens to be great dividend growing names when you look at Pepsi, Procter Gamble, Kimberly Clark, all of which are names that we own. The boring is beautiful uh, kind of trade, yes. if we want to call it that. David, thanks so much. We appreciate it today. David Bonson with the Bonson Group. Coming up, yields are back around 1.6% again today. We're going to speak with bond guru Scott Minard about the moves in rates, the risks to the market, the Fed's next move, and a little crypto. Plus, Facebook flirting with its best day in three months after posting its fifth straight week of losses. It's coming off its longest losing streak since March of 2020. But Credit Suisse sees a silver lining ahead of its earnings next week. That's coming up on The Exchange. This is The Exchange on CNBC. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. 
That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Welcome back. The yield on the 10-year approaching June highs before pulling back a bit. We're around 160 right now. For more on where rates are headed, let's get out to Brian Sullivan at the Milken Institute Global Conference in Los Angeles. He's joined by an investor who correctly called both the big drop in rates and the 50% drop in Bitcoin. Back right after it's Pete Guggenheim's Global Chief Investment Officer, Scott Minard. Brian? Yeah, Kelly, we call him the big man in bonds, literally and figuratively, Scott Minard of Guggenheim. Scott, uh, it's great to be back in person, by the way. Thank goodness we're back here. Business travel's not over. Great to see you, my friend. Well, it's good. It's good to see you too, Brian. All right, nice cities are over. Uh, where's the yield on the 10-year going, and is Bitcoin <laughs> going to fall another 50%? Okay. Uh, <laughs> nice to see you. Yeah, thank you, Brian. Uh, the easy questions. Let's start there first, right? You know, look, I, I think we need to have a longer perspective on bonds, and quite simply, when you look at how levered the economy is, our research shows that the Fed can't raise rates much above 2% before the economy is going to stall out. If that's the case, historically, the 10-year note and the overnight rate are always equal at the, at the peak or, or the bear, at the height of a bear market. So pretty much you can think of a 2% 10-year note as being a cap. Now the question is, where's the floor? Right. And so Have we seen the floor one. I don't know. No, I mean, to really? be honest, right. I mean, rates I, could go lower. Oh, I think so. For sure. Now, we just wrapped up a CNBC Pro live stream. Thank you for doing that, by the way. And I'm going to make some news for you, Kelly, right now. Scott said he thought U.S. stocks could rise 20 percent in the next what year? Yeah. Give it a year. I don't think I've ever heard you just more. bullish on equities. Well, you know, covid has strange effects on you. <laughs> but, no, but look, if, if rates aren't going to go much higher than I think. If the, there is a Fed put, a Powell put, which I believe there is, that is, we're not going to let things get too crazy in credit. We're going we're to hold things in. Even if we're tapering, we'll do whatever is necessary. At the end of the day, a valuation of 5000 on the S&P isn't crazy. And so, you know, bull markets don't die of all old age, right? They, they die of restrictive monetary policy. And we're a fair distance away from that 2% number I just talked about in terms of time. Is it also just because there's the Tina, there is no alternative? I mean, you, you, bonds are going to give nothing? Well, I just got off a panel, and that was basically the theory, the theme. Uh, you know, investors need something to give them a positive return. Uh, competing at a zero, you know, with cash at zero. Um, you know, you have international investors who have negative interest rates putting capital into the United States. Uh, you know, it's got to find a home somewhere. It seems like such a ridiculous investing theory. It seems so smart and so weird at the same time, right? It's like you got all these geniuses here at the conference like, well, there's nothing else to buy, so it's buy right. stocks. Well, you know, remember back in the late 90s when we had uh, the Asian crisis, yeah. right? And Currency then, issues, Thai bot. Right, and the Fed had to, to stop tightening. And then we had the, then, then we, had y, we had Y2K, and so the Fed kept pumping liquidity in the system. And then we had a, a bubble in internet stocks, right? I mean, we're living in that kind of an age, right? Where everything's up. Everything keeps going up. It but is, it, is everything in a bubble? 
not so everything. You just said stocks are going to go up 20%. Yeah, no, I don't, I don't think stocks are in a bubble when you look at their valuations. I mean, you know, I think baseball cards are. But, you know, I mean, things like sports memorabilia, there's some really crazy stuff going on out there in the area of collectibles. Okay. But, uh, but let's, let's play. We got it. We got, I got to ask you. I'm sure Kelly wants to get in here. Kelly, jump on in. But I got to ask you about Bitcoin. Right. Come on. You, almost, you came out. You said it's going to fall 50%. People are like, Scott Minard's head on a stick. You were right. Right. It's now retraced back up to 61. Are you are you are you making another call or are you out of the crypto game? Right. Well, I mean, first off, I always like to own my mistakes. And we we were long going into that. We sold. The, it pulled back to where I thought it was. And I really, after looking at it, thought, you know, we're going to probably go lower. Well, we didn't. So we're not in. Uh, but, you know, the one thing I learned as a bond trader years ago is when you don't understand what's happening, get out of the market. So discipline tells me right now, I don't fully understand this, but when you look at things like Shiba Coin, which back in February or March, if you'd invested $1,000 into Shiba Coin, you would have $2.1 million today. Thousand bucks in March into Shiba Coin is two and a half million today? 2.1. So, you know, I wish I'd invested 100,000, but the, the point is that, you know, I, I can't, can I can't all explain of this, this last is the point. I'm glad everybody's making money. It's fantastic. Right. You got 56 people bidding on a house in Los Angeles. Every one of them over asking price. All cash. I mean, the music's going to keep going for a while is what I, you're saying. I, I think so. I mean, we're not about, you know, look, we had HPA, home price appreciation last year, at somewhere in the neighborhood of 18 or 19%. It's not going to turn on a dime. Well, listen, Kelly, uh, well, I'm going to put this on because you're one of the owners of the Dodgers. It's been a rough two games, nothing against Atlanta, but down 0-2. You're going to come back? Well, uh, statistically, uh, we have a high probability of coming back. Anyway, uh, I'll take this off because it makes my ears stick out. Uh, Kelly, there you go. Stocks are going to go up. There is no alternative. 20% gains out of the Bitcoin game. Go blue. Go blue. This is this Back is a Dodgers household, the- uh, Brian. So we feel the pain. Um, <laughs> Scott, can I just ask you to specifically sort of tell us where you think interest rates are going? Uh, if you said you think you do think they're going down sure. from here. Well, I think ultimately we will go down. I think right now the seasonals tell us there's seasonal pressure upward. Uh, a lot of people are trying to play this game of, you know. You know, if you have to be in fixed income, buy short duration bonds like three years or five years. That's exactly the place you don't want to be, right? If you're if you're if you're concerned about being, you know, overweight your duration target, be long ten year notes and buy less of them. But you know, the the place that's really going to get hurt as the Fed starts to taper and then ultimately if they begin to raise rates is that area that's the, what's called the belly of the curve uh, between uh, one year and 10 years. So, Got it. You know, I, I, and uh, by the way, I think, uh, you know, next year we're, we're talking about inflationary pressures today. By next year, we may very well be talking about deflationary pressures. So I'm, I'm not as bearish as everyone else. Scott, one final conceptual question, if I can. Uh, if it looks like there are supply side constraints on the U.S. economy right now, how do we fix those? And are fiscal and monetary stimulus making it worse, not better? Wow, a lot of great questions. A lot of information on the pack there, Kelly. I mean, the first thing is that, you know, people confuse this fiscal stimulus issue 
with inflation. Inflation is not the result of fiscal policy, it's the result of monetary policy. So, you know, we've had a lot of cash come into the system, but at the same time, you know, we have a lot of pressure downward on inflation, demographics, uh, uh, technology, uh, high levels of debt, those are putting pressure downward. So, you know, the supply chain issue will eventually fix the problem. It's gonna take a while. In the short run, yes, we're gonna have, you know, continue to have these uh, price pressures. Christmas is not gonna be a bargain basement price time. But, you know, by next year, I think we'll get this fixed and, uh, and then we'll see downward pressures as all of this gets reversed. All right. Well, we appreciate it, Scott. Thank you for fielding the questions, if I may, in the baseball week. Scott Minard with our Brian Sullivan out at the... Uh, don't put the hat back on, Brian. It hurts. It's too, you know... Well, Kelly Sussman's oh, a Los oh, Angeles wait, kid wait, like wait, I, before, no, Eric is a Los Angeles kid like I am. So this was Kelly. Also, we're out there tonight or tomorrow. Good luck to Eric and everybody. But, you know, before we go, <laughs> come on, Brian, I have to say one thing. You know Tommy Lasorda was a dear friend of mine. Yes. And I just want to give a piece of advice that Tommy gave to all the fans which is, if you don't root for the Dodgers, you may not get into heaven. <laughs> so we can rest easy with that, at least. Scott what and about Brian. the Angels? Anyway. <laughs> Thank you so much. We'll have the, by the way, Kelly, we'll have the VW CEO in an hour. It's going to be great. Wonderful. We'll have a lot more uh, today and tomorrow from Milk, and we're really looking forward to that. Still ahead, a new industry report is raising some red flags for next year's mortgage market. We have details of a dire warning ahead, despite the bullishness we just heard from Scott about housing. And we're monitoring the latest from Apple's product launch. Look at the shares. Don't often see this. They've turned positive, even popped a little bit. They're up half a percent right now. We'll bring you more updates in just a moment. Stay with us. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Welcome back to The Exchange, everybody. Dow's down 43 points. We are well off the session lows when we were down 258. We were briefly positive by 32 as well. So it's actually only of the major average. It's even in the red right now, down a tenth of 1%. The S&P's up 10 points. The Nasdaq is leading the way today, up 93 points, or about two-thirds of 1%. Sectors. Uh, let's look at that before I move along, shall we? Consumer discretionary of about 1% right now. Healthcare actually one of the biggest laggards, down three quarters of 1%. Now let's look at home improvement and auto parts retailers. Why? They are hitting new record highs today. You can see some of the names behind me, like Home Depot and AutoZone. Every name here is up between 30 and 50% this year. Oil and gas stocks also continue to climb, with several hitting new 52-week highs like APA, ConocoPhillips, Devon, and again, modest gains, but enough uh, to feel the impact. Diamond back up 1.8%. Its ticker, of course, is FANG, and it's outperforming the actual so-called FANG stocks this year. Take a look here. Diamondback Energy up 130%. Facebook up 22%. Alphabet, the only one even close, up 62%. Amazon only up 5%. Over to Leslie Picker now for a CNBC News update. Leslie? 
Hey, Kelly, here's what's happening at this hour. In Greece, three activists protesting human rights abuses in China disrupted the flame lighting ceremony today for the 2022 Beijing Winter Olympics. Police detained the protesters who had climbed over a fence to enter the grounds at ancient Olympia, where the ceremony took place. They were protesting the treatment of Muslims in China's northwest region. Meanwhile, in Italy, police used tear gas and a water cannon to break up a sit-in at the port of Trieste today, where several hundred dock workers were protesting the government's mandatory COVID-19 health pass. New rules were introduced last week requiring all workers either show proof of vaccination, a negative COVID-19 test, or recovery from a recent infection. New York City is testing its response plans for a chemical or biological attack. Beginning today until October 29th, the Department of Homeland Security, along with researchers and city agencies, will deploy non-toxic gas on five different days at about 120 locations across the city. On the news, a look at how the demonstration works tonight at 7 p.m. Eastern. I, for one, will be tuning in because I think this whole thing is absolutely fascinating, Kelly. Yeah, terrifying, bizarre, creepy, and yet necessary. That's just very 21st century. Leslie Banks, <laughs> star power and a strong slate for Netflix. Chipotle poised to beat expectations and a security company that can weather the supply chain storm. All of that and more is coming up in today's bullish earnings edition of Rapid Fire. Stay right there. Welcome back, everybody. Let's catch you up on a couple stories that should be on your radar. It's time for rapid fire, and we're looking at some bullish calls ahead of earnings. I'm excited about earnings season. I don't know. I just think this one's going to be one for the ages. Here to help break down these calls, Matt Maley is Miller Tabak's managing director. He's here alongside CNBC's very own Christina Partsinevelis and Michael Santoli, who's down at the NYSE. Welcome, everybody. Our first topic is another price hike on Netflix ahead of its earnings tomorrow. UBS reiterating its buy rating and raising its price target to 7.20 from 6.20. The firm saying it expects subscriber growth and engagement to beat management's own guidance thanks to a ramp up in content production, returning popular series, and new hits like Squid Games. Shares have popped just shy of 20% in the last three months. Christina, it's interesting, this is more than just a Squid Games call, though obviously that helps. Gosh, because the amount of times people have mentioned Squid Games just over the past two weeks is just uh, incredible. But if we're talking about the company as a whole, I know Pipe, uh, sorry, UBS was uh, bullish on this, but Wedbush just a week ago was the opposite, saying competition is, com- is incredibly fierce. Content like Squid Games, I know it costs 21.4 million dollars to make, and they're making much, much more than that on the entire uh, series. But overall, this new content is going to cost a lot, and it could eat away at their margins. The other thing, too, is the cost of Netflix compared to its competitors. Just yesterday, I was debating should I renew Apple TV at $4.99 a month. Netflix is much more than that. And as we go forward, more people return to work, return to doing things. Mm -hmm. Are we going to, is the churn rate going to increase? People just going to switch just so they can take advantage of streaming Ted Lasso and watching that entire series and then getting rid of the subscription a month from now. Right. And I think, Matt, that the main uh, debate going into the the results seems to be is too, not too much priced in, but is so much good news already priced in. Can they clear the bar? Yeah, that's one of the concerns. I mean, you know, earlier, you know, Coming out of 2020, the stock had been stuck in a sideways range for a long time. And finally, when it broke out, that kind of 550 to uh, you know 575 range, it just took off. And that was a great, uh, on a technical basis, everybody just loved the stock. Uh, and, and it really helped uh, gain a lot of momentum. 
However, it's lost some of that momentum. I mean, last week, we had a real nice week in the stock market. Good news on the, on the stock. And yet, yeah, and yet the stock actually closed lower on, on, on the week. And even today, the 1% gain, given the news that's out this week, uh, uh, you know, over the weekend, you'd think the stock would be doing a little bit better. And, and just looking at some of the charts, and we call it, referred to as a MACD chart, which is a momentum chart, tells you that it seems to be rolling over a little bit here. So uh, we need to be a little bit careful here uh, going forward. It's had such a great run. I do think some of it is, uh, a lot of it is already priced in. Mike Santoli, what would you make of the valuation? You know, Netflix at 635 today. They obviously, it overshot their price target. They're up at 720 now. Yeah, well, you, you've always had to be pretty aggressive about how you want to describe the valuation, how you want to put it into a target. You know, UBS is talking about, you know, 37 times 2025 free cash flow, just to tell you how far you have to stretch. But that also hasn't mattered necessarily in the long term in terms of how the, the company has performed and how the stock has performed. My read on how the shares have behaved recently is you came out of that sideways period just at the moment when every other competitor took its shot. You knew what traction those services did and didn't have. It didn't seem to make an enduring dent in Netflix, uh, you know, subscriber trend, even though they missed on one quarter and it was fine. Netflix is the incumbent and uh, they are TV right now. So what do you pay to be participate in that? Uh, I don't know, but I, I, I do think the market has basically said that they've weathered a lot of these threats. It's not so yep. much what's to come. No, well said. Squid Game reportedly generating almost $900 million in value for them. But again, Netflix, according to UBS, has 45% of the top 50 streaming titles, so it's more than just that hit. All right, next up, Piper is reiterating Chipotle as an overweight and setting a street-high price target of $2,600 a share. They're citing increased same-store sales and monthly sequential growth as reasons they expect to beat from Chipotle, going going so far as to call it their top recovery recommendation. The stock's up nearly 18% in the past three months. It's down 4% in the past month. It's currently trading around 1845. Piper says that 4% drop is an attractive entry point. They did offer a caveat saying store-level profit margins are difficult to predict because of inflation and the labor shortage. Mike, Lulu and Chipotle, their persistence yeah. has just been phenomenal. Unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, you know, and Chipotle, of course, let's remember, was also considered to be a winner in pandemic times as well. So now it's a recovery play and right. it's, it's got this rare combination. Others have been like that. Look, for a while, Disney was given credit for being both. And, and I think that does happen. Uh, it's very tough to, to, again, get your arms around this valuation relative to peers. But they have a rare, uh, you know, kind of uh, set of advantages there, which is one, they never were the lowest cost for customers and they never paid the least for labor. So it's not as if they necessarily have to come off those lows and condition both workers and, and customers for this new environment. They also have a lot of headroom in terms of adding new stores. That's undeniable. So it's been really, really hard to fight this move, even though the, the stock is chronically expensive. Matt Chipotle is, you know, so now we're talking about this $2,600 price target. Uh, does that make sense to you? Like Mike was saying a moment ago, does it matter? I mean, is this just we call it momentum stock in the sense that it's not really about, you know, the, the numbers per se. It's just about their continued ability to grow and operate and take share. Yeah, and, and it's, you know, it is, you know, it's not cheap name, there's no question, but uh, they are growing earnings and they have 50% growth each of the last few years. Unbelievable. They're not going to be able to keep that up. But let's face it, this is one of the great home runs. I mean, people, we, we kind of forget what happened. 2016, 2017, they were, they were flat, flat on their backs. They had a yeah. big problem. I mean, uh, Brian Nicole came in and did an unbelievable job turning this company around. And uh, I think one of the things that, that, that Mike kind of uh, hinted on was, was, was this issue that 
they don't really have competition. There's a lot of ones that are similar, but not the same. I mean, McDonald's has a lot of uh, competition in terms of Wendy's or whatever. Very unique product here, and I just people just love it. And, you, and, and for me personally, I get it delivered at home. It's better than most of the delivery food. So uh, it, it, <laughs> I was going to say it's, it's better than what I can cook at home too. But I was going to ask if you would be a buyer of the shares here. Yeah, you know, like anything else, it has had a. A decent run here, uh, so you got to be a little bit careful. But you know, I, I think that the, this one, if anything, you know, we look towards. I'm a little bit worried about the broad market near term, but yeah. we always seem to get a year-end rally, and I think this is going to be one that's going to continue to be. Higher. All right, let's move from a very well-known name to one that's a little bit less so. It's Fortune Brands, not the clothing company. RBC Capital Markets upgrading the shares of Fortune Brands Home and Security to outperform, saying investor sentiment has become too negative, supply chain fears are overblown, and that Fortune Brands is well positioned thanks to the hot housing market, a focus on simple designs and a recent acquisition. That said, they lowered the price target by five bucks a share to 109. It's currently around 96. The stock has been roughly flat over the past three months and reports results next week. Again, Christina, definitely a less familiar name. Yeah, it is a less familiar name, but they seem to have a, quite a few popular brands. And uh, according to this one note that we're talking about with RBC, they said that, uh, if anything, they're going to be making their design simpler, which would make automation a lot easier. Maybe that's a reflection of the 1980s style that is coming back even in uh, furniture. But I think it's interesting. The revenue has climbed over 100 percent just in the last decade or so. They have continually continuously bought back shares, too. So that helped with anybody that's uh, owning the company right now. And the price target that the uh, RBC is putting is 100 and our target to uh, 109 from 114 prior to. But I think maybe this is for the panel. I was thinking about this. Are we too negative when we keep talking about supply chain issues? Because that was highlighted in the report that uh, we come too negative given fears around supply chain issues. So is this something that maybe we could apply to many other companies across the board, and maybe this is better for uh, Matt or Mike. And, and I do think this will be the, one of the questions for uh, earnings week. I just want to talk some Facebook as we have to move along here, but, you know, the companies that are able to perform well in this environment, I think will get extra benefit. The ones that can't, there's always going to be a question of their kind of their ability to operate more broadly. As I mentioned, let's just hit Facebook here before we have to go. Credit Suisse is bullish ahead of its earnings next week, saying advertisers will stick with the social network, reiterating an outperform, saying they see Facebook posting better than expected ad revenue growth. Ad revenue growth with everything going on. Facebook now has 10 million advertisers overall, accounting for nearly $30 billion in revenue. That's up from just $21 billion last year, according to Credit Suisse. The stock is down 8% on the month amid whistleblower reports, outages, regulatory concerns, the Facebook, uh, the Wall Street Journal reporting. It is showing some signs of recovery, Mike. It's up about 3% today. What do you make of it? Yeah, I mean, look, there's $120 billion in expected ad revenue next year for going to Facebook that probably doesn't have an obvious other place to go. So I, I think that that's been the story for a while. That's a resilient uh, source of demand for the company. It trades, the stock does now, at a market multiple. No more premium, despite the fact they have a great growth rate. To be real skeptical about the stock, I think, from these levels, you have to think it's a new kind of Microsoft lost decade deal where regulatory threats, the fact that they're losing teens, the fact that maybe Maybe, you know, uh, the, the kind of ad targeting stuff is go- going against them. Uh, but it's been, you know, the top line has not really taken a break in terms of growth. So in some quarters, in fact, it seems like they've almost wanted not to show as much effortless growth as they have for yeah. political purposes. Exactly. So with that in mind, Matt, uh, we've talked some fortune brands. Now we're talking some Facebook. Either one of those uh, two stocks and Facebook in particular, is that one you'd be an owner of here? Well, I mean, one of the things... Is that, is that you talk to portfolio managers and analysts, they say uh, people just can't afford not to be in the stock. 
because I have to say it's disconcerting because look what's happening. I mean, that, that people are still, even though what's, you know, for the, you know, teenage girls and such, uh, it should be a bigger problem than it is, I guess. But uh, the thing I'm watching right now on this stock is the 200-day moving average. This stock has held that thing like a, uh, it's been rock-solid support all year long. If whether it be regulatory issues or whatever uh, do start to kick in, uh, if it breaks below that 200-day moving average, uh, you're going to want to uh, stand aside and let the thing come down because, uh, uh, again, it's been such an important support level uh, for, for the entire year. Do you know it off the top of your head, Matt? We're around 335 right now. Oh, geez, you know, looking at my little screen right here, uh, I don't know it. I, uh, you, you can tweet it. I will. Okay. It's, <laughs> it's at uh, uh, 318 $318. Awesome. I appreciate it. Again, not, not, it's not a pop quiz or anything. Uh, just curious. So we're at 335 200-day moving average today is around 318 So we've got about $17 to play with in there. Uh, before we hit a level that for you and many others, yeah, would be a very key sign of support or lack thereof. All right, guys, thank you all. Really appreciate it today. Matt Maley, Christina Partsinevelis, and Michael Santoli and this uh, bullish edition of Earnings Rapid Fire. Jim Chanos is sticking with one of his short bets ahead of the company's earnings on Wednesday. Shares of that name are heading lower on the news. We will reveal it next. Remember, you can catch this show anytime, anywhere by listening to and following the Exchange podcast. We're back in a moment. Welcome back to The Exchange. Shares of IBM taking a big turn lower midday. They're down around 1.7% right now. This after noted short seller Jim Chanos told Scott Wapner on the halftime report that he has a sizable bet against the company. IBM reports results Wednesday. Chanos doesn't trust its numbers. IBM's supposed to earn almost $11 this year. For the trailing 12 months, they've earned less than $9. But the really fascinating thing from our perspective, if you look at IBM's operating earnings and add their IP royalty stream and tax it at a a normal 21%, the actual earnings are $6. And so you have this almost $5 spread between what IBM is really earning and what they claim they hope to earn on a quote-unquote adjusted basis this year. And this is just more financial engineering uh, that this company is doing. Again, that's Jim Chanos talking about IBM. Now, we can't talk Chanos and shorting stocks without mentioning his infamous bet against Tesla. Uh, The firm still has a small position, he said, about 1% of the holdings. He says, quote, we're still batting our heads against the brick wall. Tesla is up 3% today, now up 23% this year, and they report results on Wednesday as well. So a big day shaping up from Jim Chanos on that front. Coming up, we'll get the latest details from Apple's product event, but a lot of news about their chips in particular, and the stock has turned higher. And Loop Capital's Gene Munster will tell us how AirPods could soon help with your posture. Uh Uh-oh. That's next. Welcome back. A lot of news out of this Apple product event. You can see shares turning higher after that uh, began at the top of the hour. They announced new versions of AirPods, MacBooks, and an M1 chip at the event. Uh, Let's get out to Josh Lipton for all the latest. Josh? 
So, Kyle, let's start with that Mac news. All new MacBook Pro, a beast of a machine, in Apple's words. A 16-inch model, and for the first time, a 14-inch model. Reimagined in every way, Apple says. Amazing battery life, the company claims. Extraordinary display quality. A new therm thermal design that means a quieter machine. More advanced cameras and lenses. These machines are powered by big new brains as well. A new Apple chip called the M1 Pro, a game-changer, Apple says. Apple's Johnny Shruji, the company's chip guru there, says 70 percent faster, in fact, than the M1, its predecessor. And Apple also introduced a second new chip called the M1 Max, even more powerful, the largest chip, in, Apple says, it has ever built. Industry-leading, very efficient performance, Apple claims. We know Apple's been transitioning its Mac line to its own chips away from Intel processors. You can understand the benefits there, the tighter integration of hardware and software. What Apple says, bottom line, is just a better performance for the user. In terms of price, $24.99 for the 16-inch model and $19.99 for the 14-inch model. Also, some news on accessories I want to hit quickly. Apple announces new third-generation AirPods, new design, wireless charging for $179, hitting store shelves next week. Apple's entry-level AirPods now cost $129. AirPods analysts think account for probably about 5% of total company sales. Kelly, back to you. Okay, Josh, thank you. My next guest says this Apple event is all about the Mac and how it will drive revenue at the company. Joining me now is Gene Munster. He's a managing partner at Loop. Return of the Mac, Gene. Right on, Kelly. Today was all about Apple flexing that tech muscle, reminding people that the Mac is absolutely back. Uh, these M1 and Pro and M1X chips go into the highest end MacBook Pros. Uh, these are expensive machines, as Josh just uh, enumerated. But there is an insight beyond just showing that they've got this beast-like performance that Josh mentioned. There's an insight beyond that which is that this technology that they start with the highest end, of course, makes its way into uh, the broader Mac family over time. And I think that that is really important that Apple keeps that sharp edge. They're not taking anything for granted as the work and learn from anywhere theme is, uh, is gonna continue to play out, I think for one, two, three, five years down the road. So the Mac is back, as you said, and I think they're giving people some optimism uh, around what the product performance is going to look like over the next few years. Yeah, I wish we could play the song, but tell me why you think the shares popped here, Gene. I think it's uh, just an understanding that the Mac business, which has historically been a flat business, if we go before the pandemic for years, it would be up a few percent, down a few percent. Uh, and let's uh, take away the last year and a half and consider that that spike uh, unsustainable. But I think shares move higher because investors are getting some increased confidence that next year could be an up year for the Mac. Of course, huge comps that they're going to be facing but my belief is that the Mac business can grow at close to 10%. Most investors think it's going to be flattish. And so I'm more optimistic, but continue to uh, take confidence from what's going on with this uh, accelerating digital transformation that we talked about, the work and learn from anywhere. Yeah. So I think that that plays into the stock moving higher. What's going on with AirPods? I mean, they are announcing a lot of innovation. Did they? The journal had rumored that they would involve things, as I adjust my posture here, about sitting up straight and you know, different health features that we currently associate with the watch and with your phone. Did we get that today? How significant are these breakthroughs? So what we got was a, an entry-level uh, AirPods. It's going to have some different spatial audio, a slightly different design, but it does, uh, and the price did go up by 13%. I think that is a notable, they're going to sell as many of these as they can make for the holiday. 
I think it's a sign that Apple has pricing leverage and that consumers benefit from that increased utility. But I want to get to the substance of your comment about where these products can go longer term. I think AirPods, the ear, is a huge opportunity um, if you take a, when it comes to health and wellness and tech. Uh, I guess I have to to uh, rewind to my fifth grade biology course and and remember that uh, the ear is a great place uh, has a, a little bit of thinner membrane in it which creates an opportunity to uh, take blood pressure potentially your temperature there's other things that they can gather information they can gather that's what the Wall Street Journal was hinting to these are patents that Apple has filed for years around uh, that that use case and so whether it's uh, those health markers, whether it's as simple as posture, it's a great example of taking uh, an entry point around music and really expand it into what is a hearables category. And I think that there's still a lot more that they can do around AirPod in the years to come. And boy, have they expanded it. And uh, $200 price target still gives plenty of room for growth there. Gene, thanks for joining me with your thoughts on this event today. I appreciate it. Thank you. Gene Munster is with Loop. Still ahead, upbeat homebuilder sentiment in October despite supply chain issues, but are higher rates going to derail that? We have the latest figures next. Welcome back, everybody. The homebuilder ETF climbing 1.3% today after sentiment came in unexpectedly high this month. Despite a forecast that mortgage rates are heading up, Diana Olick is here to dig into these latest numbers for us. Diana? Yeah, Kelly, strong buyer demand appears to be outweighing a lot of the hurdles home builders have been facing lately. Builder confidence in single-family housing rose four points to 80 in October on the National Association of Home Builders Index. Anything above 50 is considered positive. Now, the builders say they are still having major supply chain issues and are still seeing higher costs for land, labor, and materials. But buyers are still streaming into models and signing contracts. Of the index's three components, Current sales conditions rose five points to 87. Sales expectations in the next six months increased three points to 84, and buyer traffic rose four points to 65. Now, the builder's chief economist did warn that affordability is getting squeezed, especially as interest rates rise. The Mortgage Bankers Association just released its 2022 forecast and predicted the rate on the 30-year fix would rise to 4% by the end of the year from around 3% now, causing a 62% drop in refinance volume for lenders next year. Purchase volume, they predicted, would rise about 9%. Purchase loan volume already surpassed refi volume in the third quarter of this year, and that's hitting companies like Rocket, which did 88% of its volume in refires so far this year. Stock is down about 18% for the year. More competition, though, among lenders could be good news for buyers as they may have more negotiating power on rates. Kelly? That's all well and good, Diana, but everyone's talking about Zillow. What do you think is going on here? Did they end up with too much inventory? No, that's not the issue. It's, again, supply chain. It's what we keep talking about constantly. In the iBuyer programs, what they do is they buy the house from you at a slight discount. You don't have to fix anything up. They then do the renovations. They're saying they're having an operational backlog for renovations right now because of supply chain and labor issues, and so they don't want to take on any more. Now, I did call Glenn Kelman, the CEO of Redfin. He told me that uh, Redfin is seeing the same supply chain issues, but he said we're wide open for business. I also uh, got a comment from Open Door, which is another iBuyer, also said 
they're still open as well. So supply chain hitting some harder than others, I guess. And certainly hitting their shares, which are down about 8.5%. Diana, thanks. We appreciate it. Our Diana Olick on all things housing today. That does it for The Exchange, everybody. Thanks for your time. You've been listening to The Exchange. Make sure you're subscribed to get each episode every day, same time, same place. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.